Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Janie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and you click on the Start Here link in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work that tool is called the reality management worksheet sometimes called the reality management wake-up sheet and it's a tool i've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience i have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given On that page, you can also follow a link that will let you download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. If you click the link and download it, you can print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done, you'll see the glowing uh, uh, glowing heart icon. And if you choose to tap on that, we'll let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often. recover to live the life it's supposed to they're just as important in our habitat as we are mm-hmm. wildlife is meant to be wild they can't serve their purpose if they're not wild a life outside a cage hopefully safe from the road if you find an injured animal the missouri department of conservation recommends that you leave it in the wild or move it close to where you found it 
it's directly in harm's way. The Mega Millions jackpot just keeps on growing after no one won last night's drawing. Welcome, hopefully this is Dr. Hayes, and we are trying to connect. Uh, I'm turning on the microphone for Magda. Are you there, Magda? Yes, and I do hear you. Can oh, you hear how delightful. <laughs> yeah, we're back. <laughs> All right, oh. well, uh, I suppose you could fill me in by letting me know what what did you hear before you lost the sound? Oh, you were doing an intro to, I think the last thing I heard was about the um, um, the web. Um, the uh, my brain is gone. Boop, boop. Um, the worksheets on on uh, on the internet. On my phone. That was the last thing. Okay. Well, we'll just assume that that's enough of an intro for today. And um, <laughs> you were here bright and early today. You're not usually on the call that early. So, is there anything I can help you with today, or do you want me to just move along and continue reading well, Lesson 35? Or I wasn't planning to call, but since um, I am actually on the, um, the phone with you. I could do a short report. Uh, you had been right. spoke last week. You had said, "Well, remember um, my my final feeling after making the report on those three worksheets was relief." And I had some tears come, and you said, "Well." Um, you know, report, get back to it and let us know if you find out more about what that relief was about. And I did. And so let's see. Can we go back to some worksheets here? Um, I'm not going to try to do this in chronological order. The bottom line is that I was relieved that I think I had done pretty well in sharing those three worksheets, which I had been concerned about. And the reason I was concerned was because I was still operating in that zone of wanting everyone's approval. Dr. Tim and every single person who was listening, everyone. <laughs> and if there was one person who took issue with what I said or how I did it, um, then I wouldn't feel approved of. And underneath that is, then I wouldn't be okay. I wouldn't be worthy. It's that same old stuff that has come up so many other times. I just was surprised to have it revealed in, in this situation. So it was really good. And it's a secret that I had wanted to keep from everybody. I, and I actually thought about it before I made the call to say at the beginning, I have a, some anxiety about doing this because I realize that I want everyone's approval. 
and I decided not to go there. So I held that inside, and and I shared the worksheets. And when I was complete, it was like, ah, oh, relief. I'm done. I don't have to share that terrible secret. And the reason I thought it was such a terrible secret is because, um, whoa, because of my judgment that if I was still looking for approval from anyone or everyone in this case, uh, no, in all cases, <laughs> um, what that what that is in my mind, in my reality, is a spiritual weakness. And that if I was more spiritually evolved, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't give a good gal's darn. And so to me, it would be incredibly embarrassing to reveal that I had that weakness. And then there was another thing that came up in a different worksheet that about this whole issue, and that was that, um, let me see. Yeah, here, here it is. I love that part of the, the goal that says, my goal is blah, 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 blah. So I can, so I can, and I always put that in whatever worksheet I'm doing, whether it's printed in there or not. And that revealed something very, very good or bad. <laughs> good and bad. How about that? Um, um, judgment. So I can feel superior to all those who do want um, other people's approval um, because they are spiritually weak and I'm not. So, um, wow, there was a lot that got unpacked in that. And I've done some worksheets on part of it, and there's more. There's more. Well, that's pretty powerful stuff. So, you know, I, I wonder... The, the thing that pops into my mind is how that got developed in you, that um, oh. who or what in your power person dynamics would punish people that they would judge as less than or not as developed. And so, you know, you, my, you my certainly immediate weren't, Go ahead. You certainly no, weren't born with that. Right, right. My immediate reaction is... Um, my history with Catholicism. I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high schools. So, um, okay, ask that question again. I, I think it's going to drill down further. When you read that about mm-hmm. wanting to be more spiritually advanced so that you could look down on others who are who are not as spiritually advanced. Mm-hmm. What resonated with me was, wow, you must have been trained that it's mm-hmm. good to punish people who aren't as advanced as you. And that somehow or another that aligns you with the power or that protects you or something. Yeah. Because yeah, we aren't we aren't born with this wanting to punish other people. Right, and interesting that you would pick up on looking down on them as a punishment, and it truly is. 
it, it's a nonverbal within myself punishment of them by my opinion about them, which interestingly came up a little bit earlier in the part of the worksheet that says, I want to punish. And what came for me was, I want to punish myself by hiding my fear of embarrassment because I was embarrassed that I had even had fear um, because it illustrated that I am still seeking the approval of others. So my punishment was to hide, which I found out in a different worksheet, actually the big punishment was to separate myself by hiding, by not telling my truth. I was separating myself from others. And the answer to your question is who trained me? Um, I believe it was the hierarchy. I have that feeling very strongly that it was the hierarchy in my education. The nuns were, in my mind, some kind of special human beings, closer to God than me, for sure. And and then the priests were even higher in my estimation. And so they had power. They were the power people in my life when I was at school and when I was at the church for any functions. So, um, yeah, I think that. And so what did they tell you was going to happen if you didn't get it right? Hmm. Didn't get it right. I guess I'm not exactly sure what you mean by didn't get it right. If you didn't get it right, if you didn't become more spiritually advanced than others, if you didn't do what they told you to do, what was going to happen in that system? Mm. Well, there was always the threat of... um, well, uh, on this level, on, on Earth, living here on Earth, that uh, if I chose to break a rule and didn't get it right, uh, sometimes there would be excommunication involved from the church itself. Um, other than that, uh, sin, it would be some sort of a sin and might require punishment in, if I can remember this, um, what? Well, I'm trying to remember the, the terminology. What? There's hell. There's heaven. There's earth. And what's in between? Purgatory. Purgatory. Yes. Yes. So if it was a minor sin, um, you know, and I'm not even sure what the sin would be, um, because there was always a business of choosing between good and evil. So if I wasn't good enough, I suspect. Oh, I suspect in my gut right now, I can feel it, that I must be evil. Exactly. And, and when you're evil, what happens to you when you die? Oh, you go to hell. You go to yeah. hell, right? You burn forever mm-hmm. in eternity in hell. So mm-hmm. imagine the um, the childlike innocence that is thinking, okay, I'd better align with these power people the ones yeah. who are more spiritually advanced, because 
That's the only way to avoid unspeakable terror and punishment. Not to mention that, you know, a lot of times uh, around that time, I'm, I'm guessing at, you know, the, the decade in which you were talking about here, they still used corporal punishment. They would still wrap people on the knuckles or give swats or, you know. I never experienced that or saw that, but I did hear about it. Um, yeah, so I, I, it did still exist. Um, my brother, a year and a half older than myself, he, um, um, I was a good child. He was a not good child. He was the bad child, the, guy, the kid who um, wore the, uh, the, DA haircut and the, you know, the greasy this and that and the black jacket and all that jazz. Even in grade school, he had a reputation. And I guess he, um, I was never in one of his classrooms because he was older than myself. But uh, someone told me once upon a time, and this really stuck with me, the fact that I can even remember it right now, um, it was a friend of mine who said, oh, the principal had your brother in the office this morning, and, and he was down on the floor. What does that mean? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess it was pretty terrifying. Um, gotta be, you got to do good. you got to be right. you got to choose good, not evil. Otherwise, you'll be down on the floor and down in hell. And and a big one for me was being disconnected from God because if you're in hell, you're totally disconnected from God. Wow. So pretty strong motivation to, yeah. you know, see yourself as better than somebody else. Absolutely. And, and want to avoid at all costs being seen as flawed. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. I'm, I'm so amazed at this moment because that whole business of desiring perfection, trying to be perfect, um, I, I didn't see the whole story as I do now and how important it was and why it was so important. Because it has come up many, many times in many worksheets. And so perhaps, just perhaps, in this moment if you take a few breaths and you think about yourself in the grade school years, and remember how small you were and remember how strongly you desired to be good and then you think about the the things that you just tapped into about what you were told and what you heard through rumors and what your fears were about punishment and going to hell and but remember it from that child's perspective how terrifying it would be to be imperfect, to feel like you weren't quite good enough, and then be terrified to be found out about it. That is what's driving your adult fear of having a misstep on the radio show when you do a worksheet. 
the adult Magda knows better. The adult Magda talks about how, you know, it shouldn't matter what other people think about me. And at some levels, you you say, to heck with what everybody else wants. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And yet, mm-hmm. when this old stuff gets triggered, you feel like the grade school little person who is you know he she's reacting to the terrors that her mind is creating about what's going to happen if somebody finds out that she's not perfect or if she demonstrates flaws yeah and that's what's driving what's coming up in you as an adult today not the adult situation And when you do that, perhaps you can generate some compassion for the younger Magda who's terrified of letting somebody see that she's not perfect rather than beating yourself up for it, which you've been doing. Yeah, I sure have. And I don't know if you remember that I have had an issue with sleep and and uh, avoiding sleep. Um, And I just realized this is all tied together here. Um, I will uh, remind you that it was my my fear of going to sleep started when I was in a cemetery with my aunt and uncle, and I didn't know what death really was. And I asked, and the answer that I got was, well, it's like when you fall asleep and you just don't wake up. And I woke up with terrors that night because I remembered that and that I had fallen asleep and that was very dangerous. And um, and so what I see the connection I see right now is that when I have um, ended my day without being sufficiently successful at the things I put on my my um, my list of goals, my list of possibilities and then goals, when I finish the day. Uh, without satisfying enough of those for myself, I can, really wants to get away. I'm going to take a moment and feel this. Um, okay, so if I wasn't successful enough then I wasn't perfect enough, and... Then if you couldn't wake up, you'd go to hell. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's the completion. I would be punished. And so I better not go to sleep because I might get punished by not waking up, and I would be... I would be Especially don't go to sleep if, if you haven't... If you can't feel like you've been perfect that day. Yeah. Yeah. Or close enough to perfect to suit me. <laughs> right. I mean, but it's all it's all the stuff in your head. 
We're not talking oh, about yes, actual perfection. We're not talking about actual hell. We're talking about yeah. the constructs in the mind of the young Magda that are still active and alive. This is what the way of yeah. mastery is trying to get us to understand. The world we experience doesn't happen anywhere but in our own heads. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if anybody ever told you about hell. If you constructed a thought about hell and then it's lodged in your brain, you use that to generate terror about what's going to happen if you go to sleep and you can't wake up and, you're, and you've been less than perfect. We create actually, our own experiences. Right, and actually hell, wow, this is weird to say right now and to realize, but I've been holding hell over my head as a um, a whipping um, stick of some sort. You yes. better do this right or, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, well, I think there are a couple worksheets in here. <laughs> right, and I would encourage you to do some of them, some of them as though you were the little girl. Yeah, yeah. And maybe the little girl who just heard that her brother was in the principal's office and down on the floor, whatever that meant to you. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what it meant, except it wasn't good. I mean, it, the meaning was pretty nebulous. Was he down there because he got beaten? Was he down there as a punishment? You know, it didn't matter. It wasn't good. He wasn't good, and it wasn't good. Oh, yikes. Okay, I'm I'm dedicated to doing that. Um, and I think what I'd like to do is I want to do it right now. I don't know where I'll start, but I want to get started right now while I have all of this emotion and awareness coming up. All right. Blessings. We look forward to any uh, support we can be and um, any feedback you want to give us. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for being there. You're very welcome (laughs) and deserving. Blessings. I'll I'll mute you you. so you can listen or hang up, whatever. Blessings. Thank you. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If we're still out there, it looks like we must be because the caller list has expanded to as many as eight. So comments, questions about the processing Magda was just doing or anything that Magda did last week or Celinda did Monday or the testimonial that Susan gave yesterday or the way of mastery, 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we'll have a conversation. Five four one, you're in the air. Is this Celinda? Yes, it is. Um, you asked for comments about the last three days, and I want to say that um, Magda's issue was exactly my issue with some dissimilarities because we grew up in different life experiences. I came from an evangelical background, and she came from the Catholic, which I had always been attracted to as a child. 
And so those things run deep. I, I'm going to listen to this again um, when I listen to mine tonight. And then I will, um, I'm sure I will start proceeding to do your advice on my worksheets that we did on Monday. I just want to tell you how glad that I do made, you've made the decision for us, uh, not the decision that you had, the discernment that maybe doing worksheets on the program was the way to expand in 2023. Thank you very much. You're very welcome and deserving. All right. Well, I look forward to feedback and updates as you see fit. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do have one feedback is that when you said something about me preaching, and I want to go back and listen to that too. Last night we listened to the second program, the recording of Michael and Jeannie's show. And so I'll go back and listen tonight to yours. And then um, I realized I was sharing with Larry that the old adage of familiarity breeds contempt um, my friends and family in various ways have attempted me to tell me that they thought I was preaching, and I insisted that I was just sharing. And um, it was just like a light bulb went on. So that's probably another worksheet, and it might be very closely tied into Magda's issue of perfectionism, which I share, uh, and and maybe that preaching, teaching aspect of the teacher who knows and is self-righteous and just says, if you would just listen to what I say and do it, then everything would be hunky-dory. Um, the worst of our teachers and preachers. <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, that oh, is a, another issue to do. With. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And sometimes right. it takes uh, – uh, um, sometimes it takes – a stranger or someone who's very distant from our familial and, and community relations to help us bring the light to something that we've been denying. Thank you. Yeah, well, and, and most of the time it's not really about the messenger. It's just about am I open to the message, right? It, so you just assume that it, it could have been one of your family members saying that to you these days, but because you've been listening, working, doing some worksheets, breathing, reading way of mastery, whatever, you're in a different space now. And it's 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 about your openness to hear. These things aren't so dramatically new most of the time, but most of the time when I hear them, I'm not really open to them. So it's really more about your openness than about who the messenger is. And I just made a connection between the Sedona method, which I had listened to 20 years ago and thought was fantastic and didn't have a clue what he was talking about until this uh, yesterday I went, bingo, the Sedona method. That's what the way a master is talking about. Exactly. Byron so like would... Katie and Diedrich Wolzak and Michael Rice, it's all the same stuff if you look through it. If you look at it through the right lens, you realize what's true, what works, is the same as everything else that's true and works. And that's why, you know, because we're different people, we need to have it said slightly different ways or we need to have 
a worksheet in some, and we need to have the freedom to just meditate in others. And But the essence of it is we're going to wake up and realize we're doing it to ourselves or we're just going to keep doing it to ourselves. Beautiful. And my Episcopal priest friend, uh, a lady that I'm very close to, whom I met in Reedsport 30-some years ago, she says, truth will never contradict itself, no matter where you find it. Yep, I'd say there's some wisdom there. And thank you. All I'm right. complete. All right, blessings. Thank you for the call. So, 563-999-3581. Let us know how we can support you, and or if you would like to have us just resume the review of Lesson 35 in the Way of Mastery, which is where I will go next if no one raises a hand, although, as always, we're... Glad to support somebody with their comments or questions or to do a worksheet. We had somebody do a worksheet in the support group last night. And um, and there are some people that say that, you know, it's not even a support group unless we've done a worksheet. So, so as we started the review of Lesson 35... It's um it's a little odd to me but it's just worked out this way that area code 760 you're in the air. Hi, this is Anne and I just wanted to quickly before you start the review um finish or working on the review is just to add my thanks and gratitude for, you know, Celinda's work on Monday reminding me to get back into makeup sheets and Susan's work yesterday and Magda's work and just especially today how much it took went back to her childhood and I have been resisting and putting that off to go that deep but um, when I hear um, things like what Magda just did or where she went with it with you know a little help from her friends uh, you uh, it's like no, I, I um, because I'm thinking it's tied into some physical stuff that's going on with me, and it's like I just don't want to go there. But I hear I'm not the only one that is resisting and in denial. So anyway, it's nice to be on the team of those that are going through this stuff, and I'm just grateful to be reminded. And so thanks, thanks for your support in every way. Blessings. Blessings. You're welcome and deserving. All right, so I was uh, going to say that it, it's, it strikes me as curious that even though I've been ready to just do the worksheets or take calls or just read the review of Lesson 35, uh, so far we've only covered four pages, two pages per day. And... Today, there may only be time to do one page if we do it carefully. So here we are in the way of mastery, lesson 35. The title of the lesson is Living as a Sovereign Master. 
And the first heading underneath that is creating as a master. And the next heading is perceiving as a master. And that's where we're starting today. If you have the blue book, it's the second paragraph on page 408. And the text reads, Therefore, indeed, beloved friends, again, the reminder, we're all the same. If you've put anybody on a pedestal, take a moment or two, see the falseness in that, breathe. If you know EFT tapping, tap a little bit. See the truth. The truth is we are all walking each other home. We are all the same. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all of equal value. There's nobody who's holier than you, nobody who is worth less than you are worth. So the text again says, Therefore, indeed, beloved friends, if you are to complete the way of knowing and this study of the way of knowing, then know this, as you think, so shall you be. How you think, how you choose to perceive and believe will determine what you will see in the world. And what you believe you see will determine how you act. It will determine the friends you keep, the kind of career you create, where you live, and how you feel. In other words, if you hold the thought that you cannot trust the universe to support you, you will look out and see a world that seems self-evidently to reveal to you that such a thought is true. You will then create behaviors to insulate yourself and never let the world know what it is that you want. And then, of course, you'll wonder why life seems to go on as it always has. So we suggest that you learn always to inquire, not out in the world, but into yourself. Here's a suggested inquiry. If I'm having this experience, what must I have believed to be true about myself and about the world? What beliefs am I holding on to and pouring energy into that are making the world seem this way to me? The text goes on and says, The truth will come through prayer and through honesty. When you discover it, you will know it. Once you see it and know it, then you can use the sovereign power of free choice given unto you which is the capital T truth of the capital K kingdom, and you have that power and that choice to choose otherwise, choose again, choose differently, choose for love, choose to teach only love, which means you choose to share only your loving thoughts. Again, it doesn't mean you won't have angry thoughts or unloving thoughts or hurt thoughts. It simply means you will choose to just watch them and let them go. And you will pour your mind energy into, you will value your loving thoughts, and you will share your loving thoughts with others. 
the text goes on and says, a master cannot blame. And <clears throat> a master can never perceive him or herself as having been victimized. Mastery does not come through special spiritual power. It comes only through a simple and a free choice. Remember, I said earlier that you are constantly creating your experience. You are free in this moment and every moment to simply say, quote, I think I will adopt the perspective of a master. No sense in blame, no sense in feeling like a victim. What I am experiencing is wholly, totally, completely mine. I must therefore have wanted it. Close quotes. Always be careful that you do not judge what is occurring. For that is the fault that people fall into saying, quote, Oh, why did I call this to myself? This is a horrible experience. Why, oh, why did I want this? Close quote. All of that is judgment and not gratitude. All of that is contraction. All of that is blame. Blaming yourself is the same as blaming someone else. Blaming your circumstances is the same as blaming someone else or yourself. In the support group last night, as the discussion moved on, before and even after the worksheet, people are having a hard time, and I understand it, because we've been conditioned for decades to believe this is bad, this is wrong, this is right, this is good. And in this work, we are being encouraged to step into observation. Observations like, how am I creating my experience in this moment? Observations like, wow, when that person threw an insult at me, what did I make it mean that I then generated all of this upset I'm feeling? We could also do the opposite if we're observing actively and we notice somebody throw an insult at us and we just let it go and we say, wow, they must be having a bad day. We can observe that because that happens as well. Observation, being awake, seeing in the moment that judgment is contraction, resistance. Guy Finley talks about how the lessons we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of the events we don't want. And when we resist any event, we push away the lesson. Which means, because life just wants us to learn these lessons so we can be in accord with life, so we can be you know, in the experience of the flow of life and loving it and loving ourselves and loving, extending love to everyone and everything and every moment and being at peace... Life will have to keep bringing us that lesson on similar events until we finally realize, as Guy Finley says, that we haven't learned the lesson. 
Now, he says it that way. I'm fairly certain that he says it that way because we want to avoid the idea of saying, oh, I learned my lesson. Because that's like saying, oh, I'm done with that. And we will never be done learning about ourselves and about life. There's no such thing as doing enough worksheets to be done with an issue. There's no such thing as being permanently enlightened. Like you get your degree and your diploma and you hang it on the wall and now it's done. So we've been conditioned to believe when somebody does something horrible, that's causing our upset. And this work has us say, listen, these horrible things happen, these things happen that we label as horrible, and yet they are not causing our upset. And when we label it as bad or wrong or horrible, then we start to create the suffering we experience. And boy, you know, every once in a while when we get this conversation going in the support group, or sometimes here on the Internet show, it really pushes people's buttons. And they start pushing back with, now, wait a minute, you're not telling me that it's okay that this person did that or did that or that this happened or that happened. And my response has to be, it's not me telling you it's okay, it's life telling you it's okay. How is life telling you it's okay? Because it happened. You want to hear this stated very, very clearly and concisely over and over and over again, listen to Byron Katie. After her awakening, she realized that everything that's happening, everything that has already happened in her life, was perfect just the way it was. How does she know that? Because it's already happened. You, know, you, can, you can hear her say that in the book, A Thousand Names for Joy. The subtitle of that book is, Living in Harmony with the Way Things Are. And it's exactly the same message as what the way of mastery is trying to get us to do, what the Sedona method is trying to get us to wake up to, what Byron Katie and Diedrich Wolzak are trying to get us to understand. There is a flow of life. There is just the way things work. And when we wake up, realize how they work, and work in conjunction with them, we appreciate life as it is, etc., we enjoy it. We enjoy our lives. We are in touch with our true nature. We get to extend that true nature. We get to have joy and bliss and compassion and peace. And when we fight against it, we create our upsets. We create our depression, our anger, our hurt, our sadness, our frustration, our confusion. So... This is a big one for most of us because it's not about labeling this is bad, this is wrong, this should never have happened. If I agree with somebody, we had this on the show a while back that somebody was talking about, if I find somebody who commiserates with me, they're not my friend. That remains true. I can find people to commiserate with me. That's the culture I was raised in. I was raised in the culture of finger-pointing and blame. I was raised to think that I'm a victim. So I will never run out of people who will be happy to 
join me in blaming and complaining about life. And yet, if I do that, I will always get more of what I've already had that I say I don't want. So when something happens, can I recognize that, oh, this is intense. Oh, this is going to require some adjustment on my part. Yes. Do I need to say it's bad or wrong? No. Do I need to generate the fear, the sadness, the judgment, the upset, the blame, the hurt, the shame, the condemnation, the bitterness? No. Can I choose in each moment for love? Yes. I, this is what the way of mastery is telling us. You have this infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And it is the focus of the conscious awareness, your conscious awareness in each new present moment, which is actively creating your experience of life and nothing else. Are you willing to engage the process that's being recommended here of observation, of cultivation, of practice? If you're willing, you'll see life differently. You'll understand your role in creating your experience. And you'll have the liberty to choose again. If you choose to believe what your family, your friends, your culture have always told you, you will get more of what you've always had. And by the way, just to say it again, you don't have to panic if you decide to go for a while without commiserating with others or finding people to commiserate with you, you don't have to worry. It's not like a, you know, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. There will always be people who will buy into the blame game, who will be willing to commiserate with you. They'll always be there if you want to go back to that. But the invitation with this work is, Step out of that pattern that you've been doing for so many years, that so much of the culture would train you into, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that you get pretty miserable and then you want some solution to your misery and they've got a, an endless supply of solutions to your misery they will sell you. So that's our show for today. Um, oddly, we only got one page written or, or read in review of Lesson 35, but I'll remind us that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. We have had multiple difficulties at the beginning of the show, and we were off the air for a while, and so good Ooh. luck. Hope it, hope it holds. And uh, it, it took me many different phone calls from many different phone lines. It was actually tying up my office phone lines for oh. quite a while. So, ouch. Well, hopefully, hopefully they've passed that. So have a great <laughs> so show. I'll ride them again. All right, thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, January the 11th, 2023. 
Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to get dialed in. We did have a, a question come in to us through the app, so not pertaining to the app itself, but just a general question. So when Michael gets on, and I think he just got on, on. sweetie. <laughs> we'll address that when, after you give your intro. Cool, cool. Well, welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And uh, this new year just opens a whole new fresh start of possibilities and uh, some old uh, dynamics to still be dealt with upon the globe. And here we are doing what we can do to stay connected to the active presence of love and do exactly that. My mind has been kind of dancing with excitement since an experience Jeannie and I had yesterday with Arya Rain. You know, we've shared with you at four how she came up just oh, several months ago with the thought as she was watching an anatomy and physiology video and there was a, a place in the video where the organs of the body are singing to you. And uh, when the eyes tell you their part, they sing, I am your eyes, I am your eyes, I see the world around you. And Arya Rain looks at me as we're watching this and says, Papa, they don't understand. We don't see with our eyes, we see with our brain. So yesterday we were taking her home and she had done a piece of art, about 11 by 17 piece of paper she'd done at school and she had some puff paints and she'd drawn some figures and it was just fun. And so she held it up to show it to me. I explained what I saw and it wasn't what she saw at all, like not even close. I said, well, that's interesting, Aria. You look at that, and your mind has a different reality than mine. Hmm, isn't that interesting? So I explained my reality in detail, and then she explained hers. And it's like, well, so, so your mind is making a different reality out of this piece of paper than, and what's on it than my mind is. And then I turned the page upside down. I said, now, when I look at this, I have a whole different reality. And she's like, so do I. So we explained our realities, you know, what the, what the picture looked like to us, what our brains were generating. And we ended up in this game where I would, would turn it this way, I would turn the page that way, what, what realities have we got now? And, and you know, in, in the fray of it all, in the play of it all, she's like, well, you know, I ended up rolling it in a, into a tube and looking inside and looking at the puff paint from the inside and then looking at it with light coming in, you know, from the distance and looking at it pointed at Jeannie so she could see Jeannie's hair. and Jeannie. So it just was like we just had this blast of coming up with all the realities. She said, well, I want to look for more realities. What realities are there? And so we, we turned the page back, you know, back to front. It was just so much fun, and this little one is just so clear that everybody has a different output of their mind at any given point, and it's their own reality. And I, what what prompted me to bring it up is just as I think about, for me, it's exciting. It's it's really pretty cool to think about with this foundation. 
where is this little one going to go with what we've developed, with what we're understanding? And we're still probably in very primitive stages in understanding the whole of how perception works, what the world, you know, when you think about the fact that, you know, that Harvard research we talked about tells us that's in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the structure of the mind, the construct of the mind, the reality is made up of nine bits of data. And, you know, we've spoken before about how in that same time frame, which is the 25th of a second, it's been estimated there are perhaps 20 trillion bits of data available in the actuality. And I think we are designed, I think our instrument called this body-mind unit, this human device, if we get to incarnating fully as we're designed to, as act of love and eradicate the corrupt data of hostility and fear, that we're designed to be able to comprehend and recreate this whole creation in who knows how many different ways. And so when I think about how I was raised, and it it didn't occur to me actually let's see it was probably i'd been doing this work for several years and i went to a conference in uh, let's see it was in colorado denver called global sciences and i was keynoting <coughs> pardon me keynoting at that conference and another gentleman named bob beck was also keynoting bob beck is a scientist inventor and I'm in the audience at this point and Bob is presenting and I went up to Bob afterward <clears throat> pardon me I have a frog in my throat he brought up this idea of reality versus actuality which I had never thought of or never heard of before and it was like oh man that's it that's that's the the, the thing we can hang this understanding on so after his presentation I went up to Bob and I happened to have a $50 bill in my pocket and I handled it. I had never met him before, but I handed it to him. I introduced myself, said, thank you for your presentation. He's like, well, what, what is this? <laughs> so you just gave me an idea that just changed the whole body of work that I'm working on in the way of understanding. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, you introduced this idea of reality versus actuality in a different context than we're using it, but it was what opened my mind to this Oh, there it is. We have a construct called reality, and then there's the actuality. And Bob, Bob at this point was probably hmm, in his early 60s, and he actually started to cry. It's like, what's, what's happening? So well, nobody has ever acknowledged me for the work that I've done like this, and just a stranger walking up to me and handing me a $50 bill to say thank you was just so far out of his perspective on life that it just really hit a, a big emotional piece of him. So that was the beginning of a very good friendship until he passed. Actually, we made a couple of trips to Hawaii together, taught, and uh, it was a pretty, pretty sweet friendship until he passed away. Bless his heart. But uh, it was Bob Beck, if you've ever heard of his work, that uh, you've heard of perhaps a pulsing device that's used to eradicate parasites and that sort of thing. Well, that was that was Bob's invention, or one of Bob's inventions. In any event, I just am excited to uh, to think about where, with the foundation that 
a child of four, a child who's been circling the sun for just four years, knows she's eternal, and is already talking about playing a game with me. I've been thinking about, gee, we could create a game that we could market out of this about finding realities. But just that at four, she's playing a game of what's my reality, what's your reality, and how many realities can we find? Where she will, in her lifetime, take this work, where she'll take this thinking, how it's going to impact what reality she can create and what actuality she's going to get to bring about in her world. It's interesting that uh, in the Aramaic language, the word manifest does not mean, you know, go and get your nice new Cadillac, manifest your nice new Cadillac. The word manifest in Aramaic means obvious, you know, what is obvious to you is what ends up expressing energetically in your world, in your mind, in your perception, and in your physiology. So when I think about what Arya uh, will manifest as she grows and develops her understanding and interacts, develops friends, relationships, life. You know, she's learning about, we're actually getting ready to do a, a pollinator garden, so she's learning about that. It's just, what what will she do? When I think about the, the what should I say? I guess a, the dull gray, I mean, I had some wonderful experiences as a kid. I had some pretty challenging ones, too. But compared to what I've watched her developing and understanding, it was pretty dull gray, and hers is like flashing, you know, brilliant rainbows going off. It'll be just interesting to see what this young lady produces in her world as she she grows and expands. I went I went to, to pick her up the other day, and the uh, her teacher could not say enough. I, I guess that was the day. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, her next door neighbor is a, neighbors have a little boy who's three and started in the same school as her just last week. And uh, that particular day, Arya had uh, gone and escorted him into his classroom. And then as the day unfolded, went to her teacher and said, I'd like to go and check on Dom and make sure that he's okay. And uh, the teacher allowed her you know, pre-kindergarten to go to the uh, little one's classroom and check on him. And when I picked her up, it was the first time I'd met her. She couldn't say enough about how uh, generous and how loving Aria was. So it just, uh, it's, it's exciting to think about what this generation is going to do, what these children that we're now educating with, educate, really truly educating, which in the uh, roots of the word mean to draw out, not to put in. You know, much of our so-called educational system is about indoctrination. Oh, we have information for you. Let me fill your mind with what we know. And of course, from time to time, there's been an assessment of knowledge done and you know, I forget what the last time I read about this a few years ago, but some scientists came out with the uh, the thought that, you know, about 75% of what we had all learned as children at that time, as children now as adults, 75% of it was obsolete. We knew it wasn't true. So just, it's pretty cool to think about what uh, what she's going to produce. 
And Jeannie was sitting in the front seat of the car driving as we were doing that. What did that resonate for you, Jeannie? Well, just hearing her use the words, my reality, was amazing. I mean, just that she was actually grasping it, that this was my reality, this is your reality, and that it's not the actuality. She didn't use the word actuality, but I think she got it that you were both seeing something different. And she would actually, uh, she said, my brain sees it as, is how she would word it a couple of times. And I thought that was just really cute. And it was a game that took place, it takes us like 10, 15 minutes to get from here to her house. And that game went the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Let's find another reality, Papa. (laughs) What other realities can we find? Anyway, so the gifts of life. So, Machine, you have a question for us that somebody had written in through the app? Yes, they wrote it in through the app. However, it doesn't have to do with the app, but that's just how they chose to contact us. And it says, am I wrong to think about smoking cannabis is not good? Okay. Well, uh, that opens a, a big question in today's world. It's interesting, the, uh, one of the biggest pushers of, uh, of pot, of THC on the planet, man in standing to uh, fill his pockets beyond our wildest expectations, is a former Speaker of the House of the United States Senate, pardon me, for, pardon me of the United States Congress. Uh, and the, the drug pushing that's going on in our culture is just... Um, Amazing. We live in a town here now in Bristol, Virginia, that very conservative. Jeannie actually remembers when they first moved here that on Sundays everything was closed. They had blue laws and nothing was open, restaurants, nothing, except the churches were open. And now they've uh, they built a new casino and they've got in the building that the casino occupied was a newly licensed pot growing faculty facility, pardon me, uh, that would supply pot to the uh, residents of the city of Bristol, Virginia. Tennessee residents couldn't buy it, but Virginia residents could. One of the things that amazes me when I think about it is why would people want to have a brain altered by chemistry? as a normal way of life. You know, of course, we all watched, or many of us, pardon me, I shouldn't say we all, many of us watched fathers and mothers who, you know, maybe came home from work if we had working mothers uh, who would sit down and say, I need a drink to unwind and basically take this mind-altering chemical mix. And if you take water and you, or pardon me, you take alcohol and you take the water out, you've got ether, so why someone would take concentrated form of ether in order to relax? Well, yeah, that makes sense. But what what are we trying to escape in order to have a brain that functions differently than the norm? And I think that's a big question to ask oneself when they consider either using alcohol or pot. THC, the active chemical in pot, is, as I understand it, I'm no expert on it, has a uh, molecule that's shaped very similarly to or fits very well into the openings in the cell 
through which nutrition enters and through which wastes are removed. And in that, I see one of the most destructive aspects of pot. And that is that the body has to, once, once those openings get plugged up, which alters the function of the cell, and we're not just talking about the, uh, uh, the brain now. The brain, of course, is the one organ that's impacted most immediately Actually, I understand that uh, one, the most, one of the most common elective surgeries in the United States now is breast reduction surgery for young men. And POT so alters the, the THC molecule and its interference with cell metabolism so alters the um, endocrine system of young men that they start to produce female hormones and grow breasts. So that, you know, certainly leaves it all in the place of a big question. With something like alcohol, the body metabolizes the alcohol out within about 24 hours or so. So any impact from alcohol in terms of the, the mental type impact, the fact that it inhibits, um, inhibits inhibitors in the brain, basically the reason why people will do insane things on alcohol, things they wouldn't normally do, is because a great deal of the functioning of the human brain is an inhibitory function. You know, when we were three and we stepped up to do something and somebody beat us into submission saying no, that put an inhibitor into the brain for, I'm not doing that one again. So that inhibitory function, the first thing to go with alcohol is the inhibitors and in a similar way with pot, the inhibitors go. And so all of a sudden, saying and doing things that 10 minutes earlier were not acceptable because those behaviors were inhibited, all of a sudden become acceptable and express. Like, you know, I think something like 42%, the latest numbers I've seen of date rapes happen under the influence of alcohol. Worldwide, 3.3 million people a year die from alcohol use. You know, yet it's a special fluid that people keep in a cabinet, special just for their friends and and uh, their relatives when they want to celebrate. And yet, people die from alcohol poisoning, and you know, the number of motor accidents, the number of abuses, the number of criminal actions. It's just, you know, I don't have the statistics memorized, but it's outrageous. Now, pot, the, the challenge that I see with it, if it were metabolizing out in 24 hours like alcohol, well, it would probably be more in the category to alcohol. I think it's a definite step worse. Although, you know, there's a, who, I forget who it was that said it. If you uh, take two guys and put them in a room with alcohol, you're going to have a fight. If you take two guys and put them in a room with pot, you're going to have a band. So it tends not to move toward the violent side of nature, but it tends, does tend to move toward the destruction of physiology. And one of the reasons is because, and, and I don't know whose numbers are, are accurate here, uh, it's not something I've paid much attention to in a few years, but there's research that that 
THC molecule when it gets into a cell and inhibits nutrition, nutritional uptake and waste removal has a half-life of somewhere between, some research, as I understand it, indicates eight days. Others say it may be as much as eight months. So once that cell inlet outlet is blocked, it's blocked for somewhere between eight days and eight months. I think that can lead to some pretty tragic effects and medicine has been doing lots of research in that regard and I haven't been keeping up with it all, but my, my input would be, I would suggest that if someone is uptight and feels like they need a drink or, or wants to mellow out with a, a joint, that a whole lot more constructive way of handling the stresses that one's trying to avoid through the use of those substances is to sit down to a worksheet, confront the stress that's going on in the mind and process through it. You know, learn to remove and let go of that stressor rather than just uh, create a, uh, an anesthetic effect. So that would be you know, my perspective on that. Carl Jung, I just came across again a, a quote from him where he says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So Jung's saying, don't float off in space and fantasize about things being wonderful. Do the work of finding your own darkness, that which is inhibited in you, that's based in hostility or fear, and bring it forward to awareness. Anesthetics such as alcohol, pot, a whole variety of drugs function to shut down and inhibit the awareness of what's in the mind rather than opening and cleaning up what's in the mind. So my inclination would be to suggest someone, if they're stressed and feel like they need a way to chill, is pick up a worksheet breathe, do the work of forgiveness, and move into the space where if there's something under the surface, somebody comes home from work and they're all stressed out, oh, I don't know what's going on, stop, do a worksheet and find out what's going on. There's a reason. There's something in there that's going on. Bring that to awareness. As Carl Jung says, you know, and he's probably one of the three top psychiatrists of all time. Bring your own darkness to the light rather than anesthetize it. Anesthetics and those things that alter brain chemistry in the way of inhibition are in no way, shape, or form beneficial to humanity. That would be my take. So there are my thoughts on that. Do you have any thoughts to add to it, Gene? No, that pretty much covered it, and uh, we'll uh, write her back and let her know that you addressed it on today's show. So, hopefully, well, we've got a we've got a video. I'm going to see if we can dig it out. Um, it was one we used to use in Laws of Living, and uh, I had actually gotten permission from the, the man who originally did the video. It was on pot. He was a uh, a psychologist in a school system and started to notice that kids who were doing really well in school, brilliant kids, you know, 
kids who were successful, and all of a sudden their grades started dropping, they started getting in trouble in school. Uh, he started to look at what was going on, investigate, and uh, pot was the, uh, the thing that uh, was taking these kids out of the success mode that we're in and, and put them into trouble. So he did a video on uh, myths of marijuana, it's called. And we have that on one of our hard drives. I'll have to find that. We'll have to get it into our catalog. Yeah, we were given permission to use that. Yeah, yeah. We never did officially put it into our video catalog or get it edited to uh, do that. So I'll have to dig that out and we'll have to do that. It's uh, it's really powerful, the research that he did on it. And uh, that's where the information about the... um, half-life of the THC molecule comes from and why it can be so destructive. So thank you for that question. And we have a hand up. Awesome. Let's say hello to our caller. I believe it is Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hi, guys. Welcome, young lady. <clears throat> thank you. Uh, I'm calling prematurely because I have a situation that's so fresh and new, I haven't done a worksheet on it. But I wanted to call you since it's the hour of your radio show. Right. I'm, we are in a situation with our housemates. His car broke down. It needs about $850 worth of work. And uh, I did text you a few days ago about that van, which is a long shot anyway for him to drive this van that he has, this SUV that he has that he can't sleep in comfortably. He wants a van, and I've told you the situation. In in any case, I'll, I'll, I'll approach this from a different angle. I read something once that you should not ever do more for someone, that they're willing, more work for someone than they're willing to do for themselves. Yes. And we have this situation where I've been practicing uh, the gentle art of blessing, and it's helped me tremendously. But it's also helped me get into a situation where, I think we have somebody living here who is pretty much thinking he can probably live here forever without doing anything to get himself going. I think he thinks he's incapable or he thinks the world owes him. And this morning I was having a discussion with him. He borrowed my car to get something out of his car. He had to drive to the car place. And he brought some stuff home. Um, And I said, you know, Michael Rice's book title is Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Because what's happening with Michael has happened over and over and over. And he has said, people aren't very nice. I don't like people. I like animals. And, Michael, you told that story the other day, which stuck in my head, of a man coming to town and was asked, how did you like your town? I loved it, and the people were great. Well, you'll have the same experience here. And then you told the vice versa, the the opposite. Right. And this is the case of the opposite, I think, where the expectation is things aren't going to work out. 
um, everybody ends up throwing me out. Nobody is going to really do for me what I need and so forth and so on. And I am at my, I'm up at the molding with frustration. And this is a surprise because I've been in such good shape. Oh my God, so you're getting an opportunity to learn to heal and forgive frustration? Well, how wonderful is that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so anyway, here I'm calling in. I'm just calling in and I... Uh, okay, I'm starting to breathe, okay. It's, it's okay if I can't solve it, right? It's okay that... I don't have to do anything? Is that true? I mean... Not your responsibility. I'm I'm very confused. Yeah. Well, you know, when you you talk about that idea of don't do something for someone else that they're not willing to do for themselves, I think think there's a distinction there. This is something that, for instance, I apply with Aria. I think that parents, grandparents, seeing as how that's the position we're in, are here not to do for the child what they can do for themselves, to never do for them what they can do for themselves. And instead of being a place to lean, the adult in the child's life is there to make leaning unnecessary. And I think that's kind of the point you're getting at with with Michael being there. And there is, I think, a distinction between what one is capable of doing for one oneself and what one is able, or pardon me, willing to do and what one's capable of doing. Yeah. And my take is it sounds like so far you found a way to do a a somewhat reasonable exchange with Michael and that he's doing things that support you. And so there is kind of an exchange going. I know that just a couple of weeks ago, you know, it got really cold here and I had met a homeless man out behind our post office back a few weeks ago and just, you know, went over to him and introduced myself and handed him a few bucks to say, it looks like you're having a tough time and holding a space. And over time, when I go to the post office, I'd, you know, drive around back and he'd be there. He was actually living there. And that week mm-hmm. where it got down, it was down to minus four. We actually paid for a motel for him to go to because I think it would freeze to death. And mm-hmm. uh, and and had to struggle to do so with him. His resistance to being supported and cared for and, you know, had some hostility come up. And he contacted me. Right. You know, he, he left the motel, finished, you know, he had the week, and fortunately it warmed up. And he contacted me a few days ago and asked if I would take him to another town nearby where he had a possibility for a place to stay, which I did. And uh, the the upshot of that is that uh, I, I had told him, you know, that I had other plans. It was just out of the blue that he contacted me. I said, well, I've got a pretty busy day, but I will make space to come pick you up, and but we're going to have to move it and book it and get up there, and, and then I need to get back. And uh, when I went to pick him up, it just became sort of, you know, well, it's my job to do it for him rather than he's going to participate. 
At which point mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to do it now. And then when we arrived, instead of helping to unpack so that I could get going, he decided he was going to do something else. And I finally said, well, I need to go. So if you're going to unpack your things, let's do it. And so as a result of that, something was left in, in the car that uh, he didn't unpack or didn't take out of the car. He's been texting me to, you know, well, I need to get it to him. It's like, oh, excuse me. Not my responsibility. You had a responsibility mm-hmm. to, with integrity, take things and, and handle them when we got there. And you didn't bother. So, no, I'm not going to run that 20-mile trip again and uh, to bring this item yeah. to you that you say you need so desperately. Uh, you're going to have to make your way here. You know, So I think there's a difference between what somebody's capable of and what, what someone is willing to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've shared that Michael has been willing to do a share of what needs to be done. And uh, I think everybody would just have to make their own uh, their own judgment call. Are you obligated to do for him? I don't I don't think so. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, letting him be responsible for it. and if if he's dragging on you, then I, that's what I'm kind of relating it to experiencing with this man. He's like, well, but you need to bring that to me. It's like, no, no. It was your responsibility to get out of the car. I don't need to, and I'm not going to. Just not come back down this way. I'll be glad to drop it off to you, but I'm not going to drive a 40-mile round trip to give you what you couldn't right. bother doing. So if there's right. frustration about you know, what he's capable of or willing to do, of course, that's a great gift for you, and uh, he's going to have to be, I suspect, accountable uh, unless you feel like it's within your purpose to reach out beyond your comfort zone and offer more support than than you've been doing so far. And you've certainly been pretty generous with him. Yeah, there's a lot of issues here. I can feel them bubbling up about four worksheets already. Like, I don't want to be in the category of the people who throw him out, and that's how he would look upon it. He wouldn't right. understand yeah. that now we need our space back. He would say, oh, there's another person who really isn't very nice in the end, you know. I don't want to be in that category. Well, maybe I'm going to have to be in that category. Big deal. I think if I could work through that. Uh, but well, my offering would be, yeah. you know, notice, notice how words control, and this is one of the ways that people manipulate each other. Notice how words control mm-hmm. your perception. If I say, mm-hmm. gee, you know, I've welcomed you into this space and it's been here and I told you at some point I'd need to reclaim it. I'm going to reclaim it. Now, he can put it in the category Mm -hmm. if it was somebody else that's throwing me out, but that would be a reality his mind would generate in his story, but you don't have to make that your story or your reality. I'm simply going to reclaim what I, you know, we, we need to do. And if mm-hmm. doing that, if you if you're kind of sucked into his reality, then well, then great. There's your next piece of work. He's giving you the gift. Yeah, that's true. And if you look at that, you know, you can look at you know how many times in your life have you been manipulated into doing things that were not, or how many times in your life have you manipulated someone into doing things that really were out of integrity? And that would be Say some great worksheet stuff. How many the the worksheets that I would suspect this would take you into in terms of you know in, in the light of um, um, Carl Jung's statement of bringing the darkness make the darkness bring it to awareness rather than imagining figures of light 
would be mm-hmm. how many times in your life have you been manipulated yeah. by yeah, others with that realities way. that they yeah. and or the reverse, have you ever done that with anyone? And each mm-hmm. of those would be worksheets to, to take a look at and give you another chance to perhaps touch into some more of that uh, unconscious dynamic, probably family system or cultural system dynamics that need to be worked through. Yeah. Maybe even a power person worksheet in there. Yeah. I'm writing down such. Uh, yep. You know, so well, often a, a, a power person tries to force their reality, especially on the child, in order to get what they want, in order to have their goals met, rather than honoring and respecting the goals that the child would have. Yeah. A lot to think about. I remember watching... Okay. It brings a situation to mind with a, a little one that I know, and uh, the the grandparents of this small child were together with the mom. We were there, and the mm-hmm. grandparents wanted something from the child, which was you know something that seemed reasonable. And the mother stepped in and kind of harshly blocked them it's like well you need to listen to what she wants which was true the, she did they did need to do that but then in a later case when the or a later situation when the child expressed something they wanted the mother did the exact reverse and while she looked like she was advocating for what the child wanted what she was really doing was advocating for what she wanted because a short time later when the child expressed a desire, the mom just squashed that desire and told the person involved, you know, forget it, that's, that's not going to happen. But it was clear that it was about mom's desires, not what it appeared to be at first of honoring the child's desires. So there are all kinds of little wow. games that, that we can play with, with imposing our realities on others, trying to, you know, put them into a state of hypnosis of accepting our perceptual constructs rather than being with their own. Well, my brain is in a complete snarl. Well, remember, that's one of the stages of healing, when I can bring up conflicting information and I keep pouring truth into my mind. Then the underlying dynamics that create the confusion tend to heal. You know, I just keep pouring truth in, pouring truth in, exposing the the unconscious parts, the darker parts, and, you know, dealing with the so-called yeah. shadow. Yeah. The shadow doesn't yeah. go easily. <laughs> No. I have huge goals for this guy. To look at his shit. Mm. <laughs> I gotta let go of that goal and look at my own. Mm. Oh, excuse my language, but that's how it feels. <laughs> right. I hear you. It may be appropriate to um you know, be insistent on it's time for you to take responsibility for yourself that I've gone as far as I'm willing to go. 
And if that means you need to look at your shit, then you need to look at it. <laughs> you know, that can, that can be an, a, a, a reasonable construct alongside of, and I need to look at mine too. But that other one can also be a reasonable one. One doesn't, you know, um, displace the other. Right. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, maybe I should get off because uh, I need to do some work before I can be coherent. Well, we'll hold the space and breathe with you, young lady. Notice the places where your body's tightening up. Or maybe your throat Mm -hmm. wants to close and softly, gently breathe into it. Just allow whatever needs to surface to surface. It's an awesome space to be in. I don't like it right now. Not much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. Want... I had a nephew once who her babysitter named Mrs. Davis, and she was an old, rather crabby lady. And he would know that it was time for Mrs. Davis to come over, and he would run to his mother and say, no one of Mrs. Davis can come to my house. <laughs> he was. <laughs> that's the way I feel about this. I don't want. No want to handle this. No want to. Yep. Anyway, well, thank there's you, a Michael. game. Yeah, there's yeah. a game that the non-being mind plays of. I want to be comfortable, which means you know. Oh, terribly. There's. A, I remember seeing a cartoon that expressed this very well. Here's a a, a person who's in a, a cesspool. And they're up to their lower lip in the cesspool. And somebody else is getting into the cesspool. And the little bubble where they're communicating with the person getting into the cesspool says, don't make waves. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And sometimes people come into our lives to make waves. And it's time for us to cancel the need the, the way we want it to be. And be with what yeah. is and be with what that resonates in us and process through it, breathe through it. And that's what leads to okay. new and more powerful levels of clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and do I, love that Yeshua was, wasn't a softy. You know, we often think of no. him as, at least I did, he was not a softy. And I Mm-mm. think no, I've gotten people's forgotten faces. that. Yeah. Yeah, when people weren't willing to be accountable, he got in their faces. When they were willing to be accountable, he was the space of active love that supported them, oftentimes yeah. fending off their attackers. Mm-hmm. But in other cases where people were in denial, you know, there's that one case where excuse me, your father, not meaning the, the worldly father, but the source of your thinking is a liar and there is no truth in it. I mean, you got really in their faces and real clear. It's like your, your perceptual constructs are totally and completely fake and false here and you're trying to maintain them. And we need to get to the place where our father, the source of our thinking is love and connected to truth rather than things that make things look and feel nicey nice. Yeah. <sighs> okay. The world was to kick us in the limitation, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it does that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Life Michael. is so fraught with opportunities. All right, young lady, appreciate you holding the space, Thanks. breathing with you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bless.
Blessings. Thanks. Well, Miss Jeannie. Awesome. Ouch. Oh, sorry, I about dropped my phone, disconnected myself. <laughs> um, well, you're still here. Else, yeah. Nobody else has a hand up, and the chat room's been acting really weird. Uh, Dr. Tim said he had trouble at the beginning of the show that he got kicked off a couple times and had trouble getting back in and got issues today. So I don't know if I had actually signed into the chat room and said, hello, Jeannie here, and now that message is gone. So um, it's just not working at all, I suppose. So if you are in a chat room on the Internet or whatever, we can't see you. So if you have a question or comment, call in 563-999-3581. We have 16 minutes. And let's give an update on things that are going on. Tomorrow is the book club. Saturday is my shifter still point breathing. And it seemed like we had something else in there this week. I don't think we've got any other... um conferences or uh, podcasts to do at this point. But if no one has a question or a thought, I'd like to share a little bit about actually a project that Jeannie and I worked on yesterday and we're heading out to work on again today just to invite people to consider as you live a holy life, not H-O-L-Y, but live life W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy and paying attention on every level. We've been talking a little bit about the learning we've been doing regarding the gardening we've been engaging in. And uh, Jeannie has set up a page for uh, homegrown uh, national parks on our website and just put together a brief article entitled, Is There Hope for Pollinators? And uh, I started that article out with a, a uh, quote from Carl Sagan who says, extinction is the rule, survival is the exception. And that, you know, we really need to wake up to our part in what's going on in the, what we call the natural world. So I was looking up some statistics and one of the things that they're telling us is that 80% of insect biomass has disappeared from planet Earth in the last 25 to 30 years. Now, somebody had done a calculation that if we weighed every insect on the planet, there are 17 times greater number of pounds of insects than there are humans on the Earth. And in 25 to 30 years, 80% of that has disappeared. 41% of global insect species have gone extinct over the last decade. And so the project that Jeannie and I are working on that we've talked about a little bit is creating, you know, we're, we're eradicating, we're starting out with an area that's just about 25 feet by 100 feet of lawn that is no longer lawn. It's actually uh, got cardboard all over it right now, killing off the grass and getting ready to put uh, some soil amendments in it and to plant some 
indigenous species and threatened species plants here to feed pollinators. And it's something that anybody can do. I mean, even if you're living in an apartment, you can do some indigenous species uh, plants on your deck of your apartment and feed pollinators. And I hadn't realized that, you know, when I think of pollinators, they, they talk a lot about, you know, monarch butterflies, but actually monarch butterflies don't do much pollinating, although their species has decreased by thousands of percent in just the last few years. I, I think in uh, California, I was reading that, you know, something like 90% of um, monarch butterflies have disappeared. And one of the things that we've been learning as we've been studying guarding and it's extended out into this arena is that uh, many pollinators, like among the 500 different kinds of bees there are in America, many pollinators can only rear their young in relationship to one plant, one native species of plant. And we start planting invasive species and people go in and bulldoze the forest and get rid of the um, indigenous plants there. And interestingly enough, it's become a huge money business. You take the indigenous plants in America and call them weeds and sell them for big bucks in Europe. And you take the indigenous plants of Europe and you call them weeds over there and you sell them over here for big bucks. It's really become a huge commercial business to literally wipe out indigenous species. And the, 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 there's a life-threatening catastrophic collapse of nature in the winds if we don't take care of this insect population, you know. Rarely do people like insects, but without them, we wouldn't have a food supply. And the rate of extinction of insects um, is just catastrophic. Recognize that all ecosystems as food for other creatures, as pollinators, as health maintenance, as recyclers of nutrients, that's happening, they're telling us, researchers are saying, eight times faster than mammals, birds, and reptiles, which are tragically disappearing. And they're saying that the insect trends are a confirmation that there's a sixth major extinction event happening on the Earth, which is going to impact us all, and there's something we can do about it. You know, we can change the way we produce food, uh, the way we buy food. And if insects go down the path of extinction, uh, we're in trouble within a very few decades. And so we're just uh, putting this out as another call to live holistically and to consider the environment that you live in, what native insects feed what native birds feed what native pollinators. And if... You know, if you look and out front, you've got a Japanese maple and you've got a maple and you've got a, a Chinese clover and you've got this plant and that plant that comes from, oh, they're exotic. Some purveyor of that plant told you how beautiful they were and how wonderful they were and sold them to you for big bucks. And how many people pulled the native species out of the ground that was needed for that pollinator to grow, to rear its young. And... You know, the number of things that threaten that we can do something about, you know, as individuals.
for life on earth. And this whole thing is about, you know, this whole body of work is about understanding from every perspective what needs to be done to enhance life on earth, human life, and all other life. So when you look at the things that we participate in individually and collectively, you know, pesticide use, agriculture, deforestation, the habitat loss, uh, predation by these exotic animals and invasive plant and insect species, over-exploitation by hunters, poachers, the pet trade. You know, people buy pets and they don't think about where that came from and what was done to the environment in order to have that pet. Uh, the poisoning of pest animals in the wild. You know, there, there are, you know, farmers, ranchers oftentimes will poison the carcass of one animal so that many other animals will come and eat off of it and die as well, which seems like, gee, that, that really is helpful, isn't it? But not when you start to recognize the impact on the environment of that kind of behavior. Yeah, it might help that rancher today in his ranch, but if it wipes out a local you know, bee population that only exists in that area, what has happened to the overall uh, experience of life on the planet? So the unbridled development that happens, logging, fires, global warming, environmental pollution, light pollution, you know, insects go to the light. Well, those lights weren't around 100 years ago. How many insects die because they are drawn to a light source that shouldn't even be there? We really need to be thinking about those things. And so our our invitation is to take a look. You know, Jeannie's got a page on the website. I'm sure she's probably already put the link into the uh, into the notes if you want to take a look at it. But, you know, the solution is in everybody's hands. We can develop a, a conscious land ethic, uh, which results in ecologically functional landscapes, restoring of native uh, species habitat. And, you know, it's like that we start to do this. You know, sterilizing the soil by pouring glyphosate on it before you plant a... Uh, uh, a, a cash crop, a mono cash crop that's destructive to native species is a pretty bizarre thing to do. And of course, if you go into the grocery store and buy those things, that's what keeps those things going. So we just invite everybody to do some research and take a look at that regard in that regard and uh, see what what the way you live is doing to the ecosystem. You know, vote with your dollars. Where do you spend your money? And, you know, somebody had, had quoted, love them or loathe them with humans, that, that humans cannot survive without insects, much as we may dislike them. And then another barometer of, uh, of the plight of global bi biodiversity is the, that in North America, since 1970, there's been a reduction of about 2.9 billion birds. 29% of birds are gone from America. And there's an estimated drop of 49% in bird species worldwide. Those birds live on, exist on, reproduce on, raise their young on insects if insects, and you know, one of the things one researcher points out is many insects co-evolved with one plant and 
can only reproduce and bring about the next generation if that plant is available. And if humans have come along and torn it out of the ground and disappeared it, where does that insect go? And uh, one one of the examples that this uh, fellow Ptolemy uh, used was that there's a North Carolina chickadee that weighs, I think he said it was a sixteenth of an ounce, takes eight to 9,000 grubs to raise one clutch of this particular chickadee. And those grubs only grow on native species plants. And if the birds don't have those caterpillars, those creatures, then the birds are extinct. They're going to disappear. And that's happening at a really alarming rate. So one set of statistics I was just researching today for this article says that there out of of known bird species are just over 11,000. And of the 11,000 known species, 159 have become extinct. 226 are critically endangered, 461 are endangered, 800 are vulnerable, and 1,000 are nearly ready to be put on the, the threatened list. That's a lot of biodiversity threatened. And the easy solution is you can start a homegrown national park right on the deck of your apartment or, you know, we're starting with just, you know, as I say, 100 by 100 by a 25 square foot area. And we're going to plant, Jeannie found a couple, especially, what was it, clover, sweetie, that um, are, on the, uh, are on the list for extinction. They're just about gone. So there are a couple of plants we're going to plan to plant here. And, and some research, of course, needs to be done in each area. There's a Department of Natural Resources that will be glad to assist you in your areas to what plants are needed in order to support the pollinators, the birds, and the whole ecosystem. So just something to think about as we look at every aspect of, uh, of life and what our part is in, is in uh, bringing it about. This gentleman named Talamy uh, has set up a site for registering your property as a homegrown national park and encourages people to register and he'll work with them to help to develop these uh, native species, eradicate invasive species. He specifically gets into what species need to be literally torn out of your yard if they're there, they're destroying and they need to be pulled out and replaced with something that's indigenous and will support the local insect population. Again, much as people tend not to like insects, uh, can't live with them, can't live without them maybe. But the truth is we've done so much destruction of them that we ourselves are going to be threatened by it. So another important little piece of the puzzle, you know, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's working within the context of responsibility communication or healing through relationships, we're here to uh, to bring every aspect of what it takes to live a, a truly holy lifestyle and support all of life and uh, create a global economy that makes it feasible, you know, sustainable for us to live as human beings. So glad that you're with us to share this time every day that you are.
once the show is complete, you can go to whyagain.org. There's a microphone in the center of the page. Click on it. You can drill down, and you can download this uh, a link to this show, or you can listen to it just right there on our website. And you can download the show and pass it on to someone else. So invite someone else to be part of this conversation. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.